All right. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is DJ Broca with another episode of Pills. Today I'm excited to have a guest joining me over the phone. Uh, I'll be talking to Dr. David Schechter, who's taken time off his busy schedule to come and talk to us about chronic pain. Hi, Dr. Schechter. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm pleased to be here. So tell us, um, can you introduce yourself and what field you work in? Sure. Um, my name is David Schechter, and uh, I'm board certified in uh, family medicine, sports medicine, and I have a credential in pain management. Uh, an area of my practice that I find especially satisfying is working with chronic pain patients who are interested and willing to look at the problem in a more complex way than is usually done. I see. So we'll definitely get more into this topic of chronic pain. In fact, we'll spend most of our time there. Can you tell us a little bit, since you are board certified in multiple disciplines, kind of what is the range of patients who walks through the door at your clinic? Well, I see patients with uh, injuries, uh, acute injuries, ankle, knee, shoulder, tendinitis, you know, sports, sports problems. Right. I see general medicine patients who are there for physicals, blood pressure, uh, type 2 diabetes, uh, sometimes just an ear infection or something like that. Oh, and wow. then I see people with chronic pain, people who have pain for typically for more than six months or a year, often for many years, and they're looking for a solution. Sometimes they're looking for an alternative to what they've been trying so far. I see. And so I assume some of your patients, like the people with ear infection, you might be the first doctor they're seeing. Oh, yes. I do some primary care work with uh, people who are just looking for help with their health. And right. some of them have gotten to know me over many years, and I've gotten to know them over many years as their primary care physician. Main physician, yeah. And uh, that also helps me in understanding them better, which relates a little bit to the chronic pain work, uh, maybe with a separate population, but helps right. me to, I get to know people as more than just uh, a number on the chart. Sure, sure. You are the main physician to them. Where is your practice? I practice in Beverly Hills and in Culver City, California. I see. And uh, how long have you been practicing in this area? I've been in Los Angeles for over 25 years. I attended Princeton University as an undergraduate in NYU Med School and decided to do my residency on the West Coast and applied to and was accepted to the UCLA Santa Monica Hospital Family Medicine Residency Program. Quite a big change for me from East Coast to West right. Coast, but I uh, gradually adapted <laughs> and liked it and stayed out here. And right after residency, did some urgent care work. Uh -huh. I got a lot of exposure to all kinds of injuries, uh, not just sports-related, but other types of things. I also started teaching at a residency program part-time, initially as a volunteer and then as a paid faculty through mm -hmm. the USC uh, California Medical Center uh, program. Uh -huh. And uh, my teaching... Uh, tended to focus in the musculoskeletal and sports medicine as well as uh, just the general family medicine. The director of the program asked me to uh, choose one of the areas of the curriculum to sort of be in charge of, and I said I'm very interested in sports medicine. And as a result of that, I spent the next several years as a uh, team physician for high school football, uh, doctor at LA Marathon, many LA marathons and other running races, um, was involved with um, Olympic trials and other sporting events, brought the residents to many of these events as well, and uh, this enabled me to sit for the sports medicine boards uh, some years later. Right. 
I see. So you've you've definitely um, had a long tenure here in LA and been you've been a part of U- UCLA, you said, and USC as well. Yeah, I guess so I've like... switched back and forth a little right, bit. Right, right. Now I'm in private practice and I'm on the medical staff at Cedar Sinai Medical Center, which is a UCLA affiliate, but it's uh-huh. uh, one of the largest uh, private teaching hospitals in the country. I see. And this uh, this aspect of sports medicine that I guess you were interested in, um, since you decided to focus on that, um, is a very collaborative field, right? I mean, I, I helped out at a marathon recently, and I saw that there were um, PMNR, so um, rehabilitation people, there were chiropractors, there were um, rehab, so all sorts of people kind of coming together to address these uh, uh, injuries and uh health concerns? Well, sports medicine is, is definitely multidisciplinary, both on the medical side, MD, different specialties, but also with regard to, as you mentioned, podiatrists, chiropractors, physical therapists, athletic trainers, all of them play an important role, registered nurses, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it's definitely a multidisciplinary field. And I've always felt comfortable in uh, environments where we could put together a team and you know, help the patient with uh, their needs each of us providing what we do best. Right. Um, I happen to like being the coach or captain of that team, but not <laughs> I'm not always. And uh, but it's uh, it's just good collaborating with with people and getting their perspectives and learning from them as as they learn from you. Sure. So you have this aspect uh, where you're doing sports medicine. Um, I I imagine the patients who come to you with chronic pain is quite a different population, though. Could you elaborate more on who comes to you with uh, issues of chronic pain? I would say that there are a couple of different groups of people come to me with issues of chronic pain. Uh, one would be people who come to me uh, just in my practice or uh, not knowing really about the mind-body work that I do, and they're just looking for a physician who can treat or prescribe or inject or just try to help them with their pain in some way. And sometimes they end up falling into this category that we're going to talk about a little bit more, this very fascinating approach to using the mind and brain to heal the body. And the other group of people would be people who uh, have learned about my work from patients, sometimes from doctors, physical therapists, chiropractors, psychologists, uh, the Internet, mm-hmm. my website and other websites Your uh, book. on the subject of uh, you know, the tension myoneural syndrome mm-hmm. and its treatment. And right. so that group of people comes in a little bit more primed and ready, so to speak, to uh, hear what I have to say and see if I diagnose them and see what their treatment approach is going to be. Right. But um, I also deal with people who de novo uh, may- maybe need my help with regard to uh, connecting mind and body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. Can you, before we go forward, can you explain to our audience what chronic pain is and how it's different from other forms of pain? Well, everyone knows a lot about acute pain because we've all stubbed our toe, we've all touched something that was too hot, we've all gotten a, a cut or a little laceration at some point in our lives, and, and that's acute pain. It's painful. It, it, the pain goes away. Um, even if it's a sprained ankle or a contused knee, it, you're usually better in a few weeks, maybe a month, sometimes two months. When you begin to drift uh, into that third month and maybe up to six months, uh, do- doctors begin calling this chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Certainly by year, everyone will use the definition um, chronic pain, but most people start at around three to six months. Mm-hmm. In addition to the, the fact that the pain has had a longer duration, there are different characteristics to chronic pain than acute pain. There's different characteristics to dealing with it and treating it effectively. Mm-hmm. And so so the treatment actually changes as opposed to the acute one if it takes on this long duration. If now, 
Yeah. Now, is the is the treatment kind of more of the same, but over a longer duration, just as the pain is, or it's uh, qualitatively different? Unfortunately, that's what a lot of people get into sort of um, the trap of doing, which is assuming that somebody who has a problem that hasn't gone away after four or five or six months is the same type of problem in terms of treating it as it would if you saw somebody with a problem for four or five days or four mm-hmm. or five weeks. And I fault both conventional medicine and alternative medicine for sometimes making no distinction here. Mm. What we're learning both in clinical work, research, and brain imaging studies is that the individual with chronic pain is in a different place with regard to their pain and with regard to potentially getting rid of the pain than in a person with acute pain. In both cases, it's very important to determine the cause of the pain because just because somebody's had pain for six months doesn't mean that it might not be something that could be treated or that needs to be treated. Occasionally, there are even cancers that aren't picked up uh, over the course of three to six months, and then eventually they're diagnosed in one way or another, and hopefully there's a treatment for that particular condition. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to chronic pain, what we're learning about the brain is that the pathways of pain from the body to the brain are in a different part of the brain in chronic pain than they are in acute pain. Mm -hmm. There's a part of the brain called the somatosensory cortex. This would be where sensations are felt in the brain, such as the sensation of uh, lifting up a a book or touching a piece of sandpaper or something like that. That's where acute pain uh, will, will be found, and that's where Uh, Brain imaging can show increased activity to the brain when a person is in acute pain. Mm -hmm. But as we move to chronic pain, somebody who's had an aching low back for six months or arm pain for a year or pelvic pain for a long time, the pain is actually the pain fibers and the areas where the brain lights up under increased uh, blood blood flow uh, on imaging studies would actually Mm -hmm. be more in the amygdala and the the emotional brain, the, the limbic system mm-hmm. and, the, and the amygdala and the hypothalamus, right. and it's a different part of the brain. So this mm-hmm. has really given us this exciting research that's been done out of Northwestern and other places has given us the neurophysiological explanation for what we have been finding for years, which is that when you're talking about dealing with chronic pain, you can't just deal with it anymore on the physical or structural side in many cases, you also have to take into account the emotional and the psychological elements of pain. That's really interesting. Um, to, to kind of um, ask you more about the brain imaging, um, is it the case that every patient with chronic pain will show kind of similar patterns of brain activity, or does it kind of vary along that spectrum? Does the pain seem to radiate from the somatosensory area? which is known for acute pain to the chronic pain areas? Well, the studies on this, of course, you know, do not include incredibly large numbers of subjects, and it's not not currently used in clinical applications. So I would never say that everyone has this type of pattern, Mm -hmm. but I feel that the research that's being done uh, in the concept of chronification, the process by which pain, again, goes from the acute, subacute to really the chronic condition, Uh, is indicative of the fact that there is a change in where the pathways go. I think that there's certainly going to be some people with chronic pain who may look a little bit more like someone with acute pain. There's going to be some people with acute pain who may actually look a little bit more like the people with chronic pain when it comes Mm -hmm. to brain imaging. But overall, you can make a distinction 
it appears, without knowing how long they've had pain, just by the types of uh, imaging that's been that discussed. Yeah, the mm-hmm. functional MRI imaging, which is different than structural MRI imaging, which more people are familiar with because they may have had an MRI of their knee right, or their Right, which shows you kind of the anatomy and structures rather than yeah. um, what's Beautiful three-dimensional anatomy, mm-hmm. but doesn't tell you anything about the function of the area, whereas sure. the functional brain imaging shows you how much blood flow or how much glucose or how much other nutrients are being used in a certain part of the brain, tell, therefore tells you what's active and what's resting at the time that sure. it's imaged. Yeah, fMRI. So um, in the clinical aspect now, the clinical side, that seems to correlate well with uh, neuroimaging. Um, what, what, is the, what is the range of patients that you see? I mean, it seems like many people might come in with back pain and um, some sort of chronic pain that's lasted over a year. Now, are there variances, like large variances between one patient and another? Well, I would say that every patient is a distinct individual. And so I always uh, you know, treat the patient with the disease rather than treat the disease, so to speak. And uh, that would be a paraphrase, I think, of going as far back as Hippocrates. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the, the evaluation of any patient with chronic pain begins with a good history. Find out what, what happened to them. When did the pain start? What has happened since then? What treatments have they had, et cetera? But I expand that in my practice to also try to determine what was going on in their life at the time that the pain began. And I'm talking now about was there stress? Was there a psychological crisis? Was there major change at work or in their relationships or other situations of that sort? I also look a little bit at personality because in my experience and that of other doctors who have worked in this field, chronic pain and specifically with this model of the tension myoneural syndrome, uh, we find that people with chronic pain for whom there's more of emotional connection, often have certain characteristics. We call it a type T personality, T for tension. Mm -hmm. And these individuals are often very hard on themselves, highly responsible, perfectionistic, extremely conscientious. um, And we have a number of other characteristics in that that field. Mm -hmm. Now, those don't sound like terrible things, and I realize they're not. And I certainly have many of those characteristics myself. Mm -hmm. But when, when consolidated together, it produces a little bit more tension, a little more emotional tension, which can sometimes, we believe, be translated into physical symptoms in individuals with this type T personality. Mm-hmm. So we begin with this history mm-hmm. and evaluation. We also look at uh, childhood stressors because many individuals whose pain has gone from acute to chronic have actually turned out to have um, more challenging childhood, childhoods than individuals who haven't. There's a concept of adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, Mm -hmm. and some people pay more attention to that. I try to get more of a a gestalt of their uh, childhood experiences in general. And um, then we move on to um, physical examination, and a careful physical exam of the area of the body that's injured and uh, associated areas or neurological functions is very important. Mm -hmm. We also look for certain tender points in the back that uh, are characteristic of the syndrome, uh, when present, it's con- it's helpful, but uh, mm-hmm. it's not always present, and they're not the exact same tender points as a condition called fibromyalgia, which is also discussed uh, as a medical diagnosis. Right. And finally, I do a careful review of their imaging. Most of these people have had MRI scans or CAT scans or X-rays or other imaging. Do a careful review of their imaging and lab work, mm-hmm. because in every case, we always want to be 
certain that there isn't a structural or biochemical explanation. Right. So I'm working them up in a sense in two ways. Uh, I'm working them up with the psychosocial and the uh, emotional and the childhood experiences, et cetera, while I'm taking a careful medical history and while I'm also looking for any physical or biochemical explanation that may have been uh, missed or, 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 in fact, that may not have been that significant, but that they may believe is significant based on something that a medical doctor, a chiropractor, or someone else told them. Right. So in your experience, many of these patients, I guess, although maybe not all, have seen another doctor or some other medical professional before for this pain, and that's why they have like brain scans or other sorts of um, scans that they can bring into your right. office. Right. By the time well. somebody has chronic pain, and I'm talking here six months or more, or even a year or more of pain, mm-hmm. they've almost certainly seen one or more practitioners I of see. both conventional and sometimes alternative uh, medicine. And they've almost certainly had some type of testing. And if they haven't had the testing that I feel is appropriate, obviously uh-huh. I'll order that. But many of them actually come in with uh, quite a lot of scans uh, of different parts of their body that are affected by the pain. And you find that the the healthcare professionals that they've seen before um, to some degree, at least, address the biological aspects, the anatomical, physiological aspects of why they might be having pain? Well, every practitioner sort of does what they're both comfortable, knowledgeable, and trained in. Mm-hmm. So if you go to someone who is a chiropractor, for example, they're going to look at alignment. They're going to look at um, x-rays, perhaps. They're going to look at uh, the positioning of your body. If you go to someone who is an acupuncturist, they're going to evaluate your, your chi. They're mm-hmm. going to uh, probably do acupuncture needling and things like that. If you see an orthopedic surgeon, they're going to get x-rays, possibly an MRI scan. They're going to do the orthopedic exams. Mm-hmm. So people tend to focus on what they know, mm-hmm. and they also tend to focus in treatment on what they're comfortable with, whether it be right. physical therapy, chiropractic adjustment, acupuncture, herbal treatment, et cetera, et cetera. So Many of the people with chronic pain that I've seen have had one or more or sometimes multiple treatments from different practitioners mm-hmm. who each believe that a particular diagnosis was correct. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, I'm seeing at the end point, if, if you're talking about the people I see who perhaps have had you know, one, two, three, five years of pain, mm-hmm. we're seeing the funneled-in group of people who have not succeeded. Right. So those that got better from physical therapy after six months or after three months or one month, those would be considered the successfully treated patients, and they're not going to come to me for chronic pain. They're the same people I'm treating, so to speak, in, in, my, in my, the rest of my practice where someone has a tendonitis of the shoulder or uh, a lumbar disc uh, bulge, and we treat them with medications and physical therapy and injections and things, and they get better. Right. So the issue of chronic pain is the issue of who is not getting better from the treatments that they typically have tried by the point at which they see a doctor who specializes in chronic pain or specializes in a particular approach to pain. Right. Right. So that's a very interesting point. So this group of patients is already has been through a lot of workups, a lot of different medical expertise. They probably tried a variety of things, right? If Many of them have. One thing hasn't worked and they've tried another. In fact, you might say that my greatest successes occur in people who have had a surprisingly large number of treatments from other practitioners and evaluations from other practitioners, including highly qualified practitioners, mm-hmm. and who have not gotten better. Right. So now now you come in, and uh, as we're going to talk about something, I think that 
um, that you pay close attention to are these things like stressors and early childhood events that you mentioned that may be missed by other physicians. So is it relatively easy to, you know, check off the other aspects and say, you know, those are looking fine? Well, it's, um, it's relatively easy when you're an experienced practitioner to check off those other aspects. I also, mm-hmm. I don't assume that anyone else has done this, but when they've seen a good list of doctors who perhaps I know some of the names or whatever, sure. um, typically they've had an excellent workup. I mean, right. nowadays in modern medicine, you know, patients are often worried, well, the doctor's going to miss something. Mm-hmm. But in fact, the things that are missed now are the kinds of things we're, discuss- we're going to be discussing or starting to discuss in this conversation because with modern blood testing and with modern MRI and other types of imaging, doctors aren't missing things as much anymore. In fact, the argument is made that maybe too many tests are ordered or too many MRI scans are ordered um, in cases where maybe they, they are not really needed. But the issue of what's missed is the issue or the issues that I tend to focus on, broadening the perspective from a purely biomedical model of what's wrong with the person mm-hmm. to a biopsychosocial model where we're looking at the person in, in, in the, uh, the viewpoint of personality, mm-hmm. childhood issues, stressors in their life, uh, crises and events that may have preceded a particular onset of pain or perhaps mm-hmm. made it worse. And then on top of that, when you've had pain for a while, Mm-hmm. You start fearing movement. You start becoming, mm-hmm. there's a term for this, kinesiophobia. You know, phobia mm-hmm. means fear of, kinesio means movement. movement. Kinesiophobia is constantly discussed in the medical and physical therapy literature in terms of chronic pain. Mm-hmm. People get afraid of movement. Right, which is unhealthy in its own right. It, it becomes its own self-fulfilling prophecy in a sense. Initially, it makes sense. If something hurts, you don't want to move it because it's going to hurt more. But it turns mm-hmm. out that to get better from a lot of medical conditions, you actually have to move mm-hmm. in order to get better. Right, right, right. I see. So do you think it would be possible to kind of go through um, a patient, like a fictitious patient who would come in? Like, could you explain to us what kinds of questions you would ask and what kinds of responses you're looking at? I'll pick, up some, pick someone who's fictitious, but it'll be close enough to someone I recently saw, so you'll actually know a true story at the end, although, again, it'll be completely anonymous, sure, so yeah. uh, confidentiality is assured. Of course. So this was a man in his um, early 50s, mm-hmm. and he came to see me seven weeks ago, and he had had what he said was 27 years of back pain. That's a long time. Wow. And now that doesn't mean that the pain was necessarily constant every minute of every day, but this was back pain that had changed the way he lived, changed the amount of exercise he did, changed, uh, you know, he, would, he wouldn't jog, uh, he wouldn't run, he wouldn't do various things that he used to do. Mm-hmm. And he had seen a bunch of different doctors, and they tried different things, and unfortunately it didn't work. And at some point you get a little discouraged, and you sort of just sort of shrink into a smaller world where you're mm-hmm. avoiding things that you think are going to be bad for you, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. when I first saw him, um, I asked him about the pain and the history, and I wanted to really get a sense for what he felt was wrong with him. Because this mm-hmm. is a very important concept. It's not just important what the doctor thinks is wrong with you. It's important what the patient believes is wrong with them. Mm-hmm. This is something I learned years ago in medical school, but it's carried through ever since. What is your conception of what's wrong with you is one way of asking it. There's other ways of saying it. But mm-hmm. you know, what do you think is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. What, have you what have you been told is wrong with you? Because 
until you understand that, you can't help somebody to perhaps accept a different diagnosis that would take things, including treatment, in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So I tried to understand what he felt was wrong with him, and I don't remember all of the details of this fictitious, but sort of not fictitious person, but because it was seven weeks ago, but um, mm-hmm. he believed he had a bad back. He believed he had a bad spine and that uh, things couldn't be fixed. It wasn't a surgical case, but it just was one of those things where his spine was bad. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, he had to restrict his activities and, and be a li- live a limited life, mind. Yeah. lie down a lot, these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, when I talked to him about it, you know, I learned a little bit more about his, uh, you know, I have to ask these kind of questions. They're relevant, and it's all private and confidential in the office. You ask a man about his, his marriages, and you ask a man about his children, and you ask a man about his parents, and you want to find out as much as you can quickly, because we don't have that much time, but to, to learn a little bit about the flow of their life and where the, some of the difficulties have been, where some of the joys have been, et cetera. And mm-hmm. where they've gotten stymied in one way or another, because everybody's had their frustrations and their other things. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned before, we ask about uh, certain questions about personality type, and we ask about um, we ask about other stress-related illnesses. Sometimes people who develop chronic pain in their 30s or 40s may have had a condition called irritable bowel syndrome, a benign condition of the colon, which is a functional syndrome. Or they may have had a TMJ, temporal mandibular joint syndrome, a benign condition of the jaw where the muscles are tight and the jaw hurts, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. we try to look for whether there's been other similar types of functional disorders. Because um, those are also things. associated with stress, is they, that right? Yes, very often. And okay. because the association with those other disorders makes it more likely that this disorder is also going to be one of those things. Comorbidity, in a sense? Uh, you could say comorbidity, or you could say an association or an increased mm-hmm. uh, predilection toward these types of disorders. Okay. Um, I often find that when I do an examination on um, folks with this condition, this chronic pain condition, that's actually ultimately a benign condition, but very painful and very um, limiting, mm-hmm. that when I ask them to move, they... Not, not you know they don't they don't want to move. They're very afraid to move. There's a hesitance to move, mm-hmm. and I watch the lack of fluidity in them. Some of them move very mechanically, almost like a robot, because mm-hmm. some physical therapist some years ago, whatever, had taught them. Well, this is the way you should move to protect your back, and they kind of move very mechanically, which mm-hmm. you know it can be good for a week or two, but it's not really a good long-term solution to movement because we we need to relax in order to move fluidly, etc. So I proceeded to, uh, you know, take his history and do his examination and review his MRI scans. And I said to him, you know, honestly, your MRI scans aren't perfect, but they don't really look that terrible. I mean, it's not so much more than I would see in anybody else just with, you know, a few decades on the planet, aging, mm-hmm. gravity, this sort of stuff. I'm not really seeing anything here that I feel is, is troublesome or surgical mm-hmm. or that should explain 27 years of back pain. So we talked about the concept that the pain is just sort of stuck in his nervous system, mm-hmm. that the pain pathways have developed, unfortunately, as a result of reinforcement, have developed a uh, thickening, if you will, or a uh, perpetuation, or a um, they become more permanentized mm-hmm. over the course of these 27 years. I said, however, my experience has been that if you're willing to consider this diagnosis and if you're willing to take certain steps, which we'll discuss in a few minutes, that you can break this pattern. Mm-hmm. And he was interested because he had learned a little bit about this before he even saw me, 
mm-hmm. he was also skeptical. I mean, can this really work for me? I've had 27 years of back pain. Sure. Um, so 